Welcome to CTL Connections Short Bites, a series of interviews with senior engineering leaders. I'm your host, Peter Bell. The future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. At CTL Connection, we try to solve that by identifying, curating, and distributing the latest tools and techniques for more effectively building and managing an engineering team. Join our community at ctlconnection.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank our partners. Code Climate is our global sponsor. Code Climate Velocity helps CTOs, VPEs, and directors at companies like Slack, Gusto, and Pizza Hut align initiatives with strategic priorities, accelerate software delivery, and drive continuous improvement. I'd also like to thank Amazon Web Services and Carrot, our sustaining partners. I'd also like to take a moment to introduce our Short Bytes partner, Cloud Zero. You're spending a ton of money on the cloud, so shouldn't you know exactly what you're spending it on? Cloud Zero will help you organize and understand your cloud spend better than anyone else out there. You'll get visibility without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. With Cloud Zero, you can optimize your unit economics, decentralize cost intelligence to engineering, and create a shared language between finance and technical teams. You'll be able to answer questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What is the cost impact of re-architecting this application? Join companies like Drift, Rapid7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started today. Today, I'm speaking with Joe Lynch, former engineering leader at Google Cloud. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks for having me, Peter. Excited to be here. So I, I love this idea of a topic of how to kind of grow the leaders within your org. Uh, but maybe before we get to the topic, I'd love to maybe just give our listeners and uh, watchers a little bit of backstory. Like, tell us a little bit of, about yourself and your engineering leadership journey. Sure. Um, I've been building software and leading teams for more than 21 years. Got started in the year 2000. It was quite, quite memorable. And all that time, it's been B2B software. So I, uh, I worked at a consulting firm for 10 years. I was the VP of Eng at a, uh, a company that had a large SaaS product for three and a half, four years, then a CTO at a, uh, a tech startup within the ad tech vein uh, for a couple of years. And then uh, was most recently with Google Cloud for about five and a half years, we just recently um, departed from Google. And uh, where I focused on, for initially I focused on storage, storage efficiency across all of Google. And then a little further up in the stack, um, I was responsible for data ingestion for their observability platform. Uh, it used to be called Stackdriver. Now it's called Cloud Operations. Got it. So how did you become interested in leadership development? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, uh, for me, I, I find that my interests are often informed by my early experiences you know, similar, similar to like the way our childhood leaves imprints on us. Um, I remember I, I had been working in consulting for maybe three years at the time. And the first two years were, were great. I, I got to work with, um, with building object oriented stuff in Java. Everything was super generic, great frameworks. And there didn't seem to be any budget constraints or timeline constraints. It was just this big fictional um, existence and it was great. Then I went to a role where there were a lot of budget constraints and timeline constraints and didn't get to choose the technology. I found myself writing VB6 
Um, and then I, I remember I found myself on exceldeveloper.com trying to figure out syntax for some weird macro thing. And I said, okay, that's it. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> so I'm, I just didn't feel like I was, I, that felt like a regression to me. So I, um, I was actually preparing to leave this firm and then somebody sort of picked me out of a crowd and said, we want you to play this leadership role on this project over here. And I was like amazed. I was like, okay, I had no, I didn't make it clear that I was interested in that. It wasn't obvious to me that I would be good at it. And I had no idea how this person came to that conclusion, but somehow they saw something in me. And this person uh, coached me for years. Uh, for We worked together for seven years. And I got a level of coaching and mentoring from him that frankly spoiled me uh, to the point where, <laughs> where afterwards I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to not have somebody looking out for you. And so to compare those two experiences of being actively mentored and coached to then after that feeling like you're on your own, it, it gave me a sense that I wanted to pay it forward. That's great. So talking of paying it forward, you're, you're sharing some ideas. Why should an engineering leader care about leadership development? What's the problems it actually solves out of all the other things they could be doing with their time? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's tricky because um, I, I often think about the um, Covey quadrant or the, the Eisenhower quadrant around um, on one dimension, you have um, urgency, and then on another dimension, you have importance. And we, we, spend, um, we spend so much of our time in quadrant one, which is the urgent and the important, right? Like, oh, the system's down or something. That's both urgent and important. Um, but then there are the other ones that are important, but not urgent. And it's very easy to kick the can and just say, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. But as the song goes, tomorrow never comes. And uh, you find yourself in a situation where, you're, you know, a leader in your organization is disgruntled and they left on short notice. And before you know it, you've got 30 engineers and who are they going to report to? Um, so it helps to solve those problems. It, it's a uh, it's an obvious way to reduce risk and, and it's just sensible succession planning. But it also, I think, demonstrates uh, a sense of sort of ownership and uh, a forward looking mindset as far as care for the organization, um, acting like an owner and not a renter, as uh, I think the Amazon principles would say. Um, and, and then a, a metaphor that I use sometimes to think about it is sometimes when people, if you were to have, have somebody go through a really awful project and their morale burns down, right? Some people from a business perspective would be like, well, hey, what's the big deal? They'll, they'll recover. I'll often explain that to them as, no, you have depreciated an asset. This asset, um, who is your employee and who is excited about doing the work, now after you've, they've gone through this awful march of a project, you've depreciated them. It, it's a crude metaphor, but it's, it's helpful for business people that think in dollars and cents. I think in a similar way, you have appreciated that asset. It's almost like you've added a new wing onto the house um, without having to invest a whole lot when you can help to develop a new leader that can take on the scope that you know, that you used to own. So I think it makes sense for the business. I also think it makes sense for the organization that um, that that you manage. People will see that uh, great work is rewarded. They'll see that people from within their ranks are now growing up and, and taking responsibility. People tend to trust leaders that come from within more than 
the external leaders. Um, external leaders can um, can build credibility, but it just it just takes time. Um, it's obviously great for the person because they're um, receiving the benefit of the experience of the person that's that's coaching them. And finally, part that that selfishly, at least for me, it's it feels great. You know, it feels great. And I mean, in addition to that, though, you obviously get bandwidth because if you coach somebody, you can give them responsibilities that take things off your plate. You're better leveraged. Um, but the biggest thing for me is it actually feels good. Uh, my biggest, probably one of my um, biggest joys professionally is when somebody, I get this occasionally because I pro- have proactively mentored people for my whole career. Oh, thanks for being my manager, you know. 15 years ago, when you really did, did X, it really helped me. And I don't even remember half of these things. Um, but that, that, that feels good. That makes my day. Because the reason is, as a, as a leader, you do so many tiny little things that are often thankless. And people think you're in the back room, you know, smoking cigars and laughing like Dr. Evil. And um, you're not, though. But it's these, these tiny little things where somebody expresses gratitude and you can see you made a difference in somebody's life. For me, that that's uh, that's a great feeling. That makes sense. So, to get really kind of tactical about this, if you're talking about leadership development, so you you've got somebody who maybe they're a direct report within your org. How what does that look like? What, how do you determine what needs to be developed? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I, I think it depends on like where the person is in their career. So, um, one common pattern is. You know, you, you, you take an individual contributor, grow them into a tech lead. You take a tech lead, grow them into a manager. You take a manager and grow them into a director, you know. Um, so a lot of it depends on a lot of it depends on, on where they are. Um, maybe, in some maybe cases, just to, to jump jump in on that, if it's OK, yeah. um, I love the, the idea of it, it being a, a function of where they are in their career. Something that I'm really fascinated by is when you're moving, say, from the manager to director. Because I sure. feel like that is one of those kind of tricky. I, I feel like the IC to team lead, team lead to manager, this is something that, that we, we kind of hear about a lot. But we don't yeah. often talk about that transition from manager to director where suddenly you're back into like systems thinking and org design again when you thought you were dealing with people and you are, but you aren't. Yeah. So going from manager to director, all of a sudden your job is not um, – you know, dealing with ICs, your, your job is most of the time going to be leading other leaders. And so um, not to be circular, but encouraging them to grow other leaders <laughs> is one of the very <laughs> first things that I reinforce from the beginning. But we'll put, put, um, put, put that aside for a second. I think as you grow into a director role, you're expected more to set strategy um, you're ex- expected more to help develop a true north for your larger organization um, that's that's bold and um, and sometimes aligned with a bigger picture um, within the organization and the business goals that you might not be able to get by just managing you know eight engineers or something like that. You can also start to see that there as you manage multiple um, uh, teams, there will be small tensions between the individual goals of those teams and that you're going to have to sometimes get involved to make sure that, Hey, if, if your goals act unintentionally conflict, I, you know, 
you need to bring that to me, you know, like the director that is, you need to bring that to me so that I can help you um, to work through that because it's not, it's not intentional that that would be the case. Um, you will need to, because you're now focused on managing managers, you'll need to be a bit more deferential. Um, some of those managers than you might have been in the past. Some of those managers might have 15 years of professional experience and done this three or four times. And while there's always going to be room for them to improve and you've been put in a position where it's expected that you'll help them to do that, you also need to uh, respect the fact that they've figured out some tricks on their own. Um, it's, it's a horrible feeling to be somebody that's been around the block and has a lot of hard-won experience and then somebody tries to tell you how to tie your shoes. You know, so you need to um, you need to deal with that as well. Um, those are those are some of the things that um, th that come to mind. Uh, obviously, there's there's uh, plenty more of them, but you know, those are some of the things that I that I think are uh, that that come to mind for developing somebody who now um, is going to be leading leaders for the first time. Now, how do you distinguish between there, there's no question that you need to provide leadership development, right? And help your team to grow. How do you determine which things you are qualified or have the bandwidth to teach, coach, mentor yourself versus where you should reach either out, outside of yourself or possibly even outside of your organization to get extra support to help them to level up in certain areas? Yeah, yeah, a good question. I, I think it's it's really important not to come across as a know-it-all. Um, a lot of times, uh, my experience has been that sometimes the best coaches, and I'm mixing coaching, mentoring. That just let's let's not make a big deal about that distinction. A lot of times, the best coaches are people that are have enough distance from what you're doing. They might not even be in the same field as you. And they can see things like you're getting in your own way over here. You you might not realize it. You know, uh, you seem to be you seem to I'm making things up. You seem to just sort of once you're once you reach a point of conviction, it seems like, you know, you shut down and you won't let in new information or it seems like maybe your team is uncomfortable bringing bad news to you. Like you don't need a um, you don't need to be a subject matter expert in all the details of what they're doing in order to be able to point some of those things out. Um, so I often find that, that um, if, you, if, you're, if you're largely just pointing out the symptoms and shining a, shining a mirror up to people, uh, that doesn't actually require a ton of subject matter expertise. It just often requires transparency and having the guts to have um, a conversation that, uh, sort of, that is sort of like of a radical candor nature, if you're familiar with the book. Um, because sometimes those conversations can be really painful. Like somebody is, they're, they're knocking it out of the park along eight dimensions out of 10, but they don't realize that the, along these two dimensions or even just one dimension, that it's offsetting all the good that they're bringing over here. And it's heartbreaking sometimes to, to say, you, and you often have to frame it as like, I don't know if you know how you're coming across, but you know, like, cause a lot of the times these things are human communication issues, right? Communication issues are are often at the heart of of people issues, and people issues are often at the heart of building software. Um, so, 
you know, just just um, shining a mirror up to people and and trying to accurately re- reflect what what you see, what you hear, and what you've been able to triangulate from others too, um, is something that I think can be universally helpful. But um, another thing to be aware of is yes, if there are spots where it's like, hmm, I don't know much about this, but let me this spot where you appear to be struggling, but let me see if I can help find you resources. Uh, as a leader, you often have to be a good load balancer too and say, I'm not sure what to do with this, but I do know that um, whatever H- HR has a good trading program for this, or everybody seems to be talking about this book, um, you know, not personally read it, but you might want to check it out. Um, things, things like that. So when you're running an engineering org, how much of your time, what kind of percentage do you spend on thinking about and growing your leaders? Yeah, it, it varies tremendously, I think. I, I think it depends on um, some people. Sometimes you're getting close to that point where you're engineering yourself out of redundancy, which I think should always be a leader's goal, as ironic as it might sound. Um, if you're getting close to that point, you're you know, you're not spending that much time on it. You're, you're you're doing pretty well. Sometimes though, you get to you're at the point where there are very few lead like effective leaders in the organization, and you have to sort of pull the organization up from its bootstraps and teach them basics and and sort of almost like compose an organization built around strong leaders, often people that are um, that that have built credibility within the organization. So when you're having to do that kind of stuff, it's not uncommon for me to spend like, say, 20% of my time on like proactively working on the program. I think of it as a program. It's not even a project. It's a program. It's a series of, it's like an indefinite um, set of, um, you know, thematically related activities where the goal is grow Stan or grow Susie. I actually think of it that way. Now, the, the thing is, um, it, I, I don't do things that are artificial, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not talking about let's go do all team building activities all the time. I mean, more like take ordinary work opportunities, bring a double to the meeting. Like maybe I ordinarily would have it covered, but I'm going to bring a double. Um, I'm going to make sure that they're there and they see what's going on. And then you gradually go from, hey, you know, watch me do this to, Hey, watch me do this, and then I'm going to explain to you the steps that I took or why I took it a certain way. To then say, okay, now I'm going to watch you do this and provide, you know, feedback along the way, and then ultimately give it to you and just come to me if you have any questions. It's sort of that gradual learning process. And what I find is it's surprising um, how much nuance there are there is when it comes to um, leading people in organizations that it's only once you put them in words and try to teach them to somebody that you're like, oh, that's kind of odd. <laughs> They're like, you know, you find yourself saying somebody sends a snarky email um, with 30 people on copy, and you know, and then you reply with the gently framed um, but firm email that's sort of, well, did you see what I did there? I mean, this is actually the kind of stuff that I'll do. I don't know how other people do it, but that's what I do. I'll say, do you see what I did there? I was like, it had to push back a little bit, make sure that we weren't accepting 
what they were saying as, you know, the gospel truth, but we're trying to reaffirm what their concerns are because they're legitimate, you know, and the, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I, I, I find that I have to do tiny little bits of that just um, over and over and over. And then you get to the point where the, the, you start to realize like they've got this, they've got this, they're better at this than me, maybe because they have a, a, a lot of strengths there or just because they've, They've um, done it enough times. And then eventually people will start to send you a signal too. They're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And that's a great feeling when you're like, hey, do you know how to draft? You know, do you need my help drafting the OKRs? Nope, I got it. I'll, I'll give you a shout. I'll, I'll, I'll copy you on the review. I mean, that's a great feeling to go from whatever. It might take you 12 months. But to go from somebody who who couldn't spell OKRs, even though the, the letters are right there in the name, to somebody who can draft them independently really without much input from you. That's, that's, that's a great feeling. Nice. So are there any resources you've found helpful for either identifying weaknesses or helping someone to improve in specific areas? Yeah. Um, a lot of times the, the, like the way that I would t- turn that a little bit is say, here is how I figure out what my opportunities for improvement are. Um, and I, I usually, I try to be conscious about saying opportunities for improvement, like rather than um, weaknesses or things like that. Right. Um, because the term opportunity is like, everybody likes opportunities. Right? <laughs> um, so one of the things that I, one of the things that's real is the further that you get up, the harder it is to get real feedback, right. To get transparent feedback. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's a power differential that we have to admit is there, even if we pretend it's not. Um, there's a power differential there, and people are people are afraid. Um, they're afraid if they say the wrong thing that somehow you might use that against them, or they might not get the right project or whatever. Um, so you need to be cognizant of the fact that whatever you're getting that's critical is watered down and is a subset of the reality. So I often sort of, I try to be hyper vigilant to small cues. Um, you know, if I'm saying something in a meeting that I think is, um, is maybe a little, a little bold or potentially overly assertive. And you get the, you know, you get a couple of these, <laughs> you have to read people's body language. And, and then what I'll do is I'll go and I'll talk to somebody who, um, who I trust, who was also in the meeting say, Hey, did I miss the mark there? And sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you figure out after t- talking to a few people, like, yeah, that didn't land that well. But they would have never told you that. Um, and you, you, don't, um, you don't realize like, how much effect those, those kinds of little things can do. So I, I, I try to be, try to be hyper, hyper vigilant. Um, your, your peers even are, you know, have obstacles to providing you feedback, right? They don't particularly want to cause any friction. We have a lot in engineering. We have a lot of introverts, right? And introverts on average aren't super excited about conflict. Um, And so there's, and and so there's all kinds of reasons why you really have to have to dig for feedback. I I also ask my manager for feedback regularly, maybe not every one-on-one, but say once a month or something, if you, Hey, any, Anything you think I should stop, start, or continue, like those are, I often use that. That somehow I find that that 
tends to be a little um, a little more effective than saying any feedback for me. You know, um, anything I should stop, start, or continue. I often say that I copied that from somewhere. I don't. I don't really remember. <clears throat> Uh, and then you have to ask for I, I almost every one on one or at least every other. I ask for feedback from my direct reports. And when you first start, of course, they'll have none. They'll have none. But the, 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 the way that you realize you've crossed the chasm into a point of where there's some trust is they give you some eventually. And um, I've for every direct report I've had for as long as I can remember, I eventually crossed that chasm. Sometimes it takes several months or a year to get there. They realize, oh, his heart is in the right place. Yeah, you don't realize it, but you came across like an ass in this meeting, and you might want to apologize to Stan about that or something like that. Um, you also have to reflect. Um, and uh, th so those are those are type the, the things that I do anyway. And so um, it's sort of a... a a sideways way of answering the question of I'd encourage other people to do those things and to toss around more ideas and to share ideas with me. Cause I'm always looking for new ways to, um, to, to gather feedback. So a lot of what you've been talking about is you're helping people to kind of like go through a career ladder, maybe from tech, I see tech lead manager, director, VP. How do you deal with, ongoing development for people who are very happy where they are. They're maybe an engineering manager. And the last thing they want to do is become a director. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as they're not in an up and out, uh, you know, up or out position, which generally is not the case at a manager level. Um, then I think the, I think all you need to do is support them, make sure that they're doing their job well, that they feel fulfilled. You can always increase somebody's fulfillment. Um, and so there's like I've never found I've never met anyone who's perfectly happy. Uh, so and, and my experience is I, I try to manage people's morale. Manage is not the right term because that, that that sort of suggests that you can control it. Um, I try to be cognizant of people's morale or the people I, I, in probably every other one on one. I ask people, where's your morale score scale of one to ten? You know, and the, the first time I asked them, like, what do you mean? I'm like, like, yeah, scale of one to 10, where's your morale? Figurative gun to your head. And then we go, oh, well, seven. And, and from, if you ask that question and you find um, the, the absolute number doesn't mean anything across people, but the, um, a given person who ordinarily gives you a seven and now they're at a five, it's, it's just like, oh, okay, what's driving that? Whereas if you were to say to them, hey, anything going on that I should know about? You're not going to they're not going to come forward with anything. But now if you say, hey, you're literally a seven and you're at a five, what's driving it? Oh, yeah, I'm fighting with so and so about that code review or things are going on at home or, or any number of things. Um, so there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of support that goes into um, managing anyone. But uh, I do think even the people that are happy, it, it's always important to um to keep them happy, to keep them fulfilled, to make sure that they're doing a great job in leading their organizations, helping their people to do their best work. So obviously things get busy running an engineering team. Is this something that this investment in kind of growing your team, is this something you can pause for a week, a month, a quarter? Oh yeah, we can pause, for, we can pause our whole careers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Um, the, the, 
the the issue I find though is that if I'm if I'm not proactive about it, that it comes back to it comes back to bite me. And so, like one question you can ask yourself is look around at each of your leaders within your um, organization. And leaders can include like you know tech leads. Tech leads are often the most influential people in any engineering organization. Who would be the person that you'd replace them with if they walked out today? Um, that's a tough question because in almost all cases, you're not going to have a like, oh, I know exactly. But if the, the answer is really like you don't have great answers for hardly anybody, you're, you're probably in trouble and you probably want to get busy. Um, so I, I try not to skimp on it. But of course, um, you know, quadrant two gets sacrificed for quadrant one. Um, it's just a matter of how much how much risk you can take. And then I think I think what happens is. We, we tend to become overly reliant on the idea of I'll just bring in external leadership, you know, as if that's really easy. There is external leadership, right? There, there's great people. Every time we joined a company, we were external leadership when we came in. But it, it can be very disruptive. It, people, um, it takes a long time to find somebody that's good. You can find yourself, some a, a, a director can find themselves with 20 direct reports for six months because they're, hunting for the right manager. How, how, how well are those 20 people being supported at that time? What's their morale going to be like? What's the impact on the velocity going to be like? Like these are, it's a big deal, I think. So um, I think what happens is in the absence of succession planning, we do the, um, oh, I'll just bring in external talent. Uh, but you, I think you want to use that card strategically, not reactively. Um, so like if you figure out, okay, I have longer term needs that, it doesn't look like um, we have leaders in-house that are going to grow to that next level quickly. Okay, maybe we need somebody to to lead a big chunk here, but you can take your time. It takes six months plus to find a, a you know a good external leader sometimes. And then if you find a if you find one that doesn't work out, it can be destructive. You know, it can you can really turn the place upside down and can be a culture shock and you know send people away. Joe, unfortunately, we're out of time, but thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure to be here.